As time goes on, we're learning more and more about the hundreds of internet sites that advertise or sell controlled substances online. Yet it seems like the more we learn, the more we're left with new questions. How many websites bypass the safeguards put in place by the Drug Enforcement Administration and state boards of pharmacy? How many websites actually require a prescription for controlled substances? Is there a problem, and is it getting better or worse? You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Focus on Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Charles Turk, PharmD. Our guest is Susan Foster, Vice President and Director of Policy Research and Analysis at the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse, or CASA, at Columbia University. Ms. Foster oversaw the preparation of one of the center's most recent reports, You've Got Drugs, about illegal drug commerce on the Internet. Welcome, Ms. Foster. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. We are discussing potentially worrisome trends in the online sale of prescription drugs, particularly controlled substances. And I wanted to start off by asking you a little bit about CASA's history of tracking online prescription drug availability. We started doing this back in 2004 when we were doing some background research for a much larger study on the diversion and abuse of controlled prescription drugs in the U.S., And in the course of that work, we found that the Internet is a wide-open channel of distribution for controlled prescription drugs with really no blocking of the sale to children and access to most of these drugs without prescription. So we were concerned enough about it that we released our first You've Got Drugs report in 2004, and we've been doing it every year since that, this being our fifth. What role have you played in the report's preparation? I was responsible for the production of the report, for the research and the production of the report. How often did you say the study of prescription drug availability online is updated? Each year for the last five years. How labor-intensive is it to put the report together? Well, each year we devote the same amount of time to the research, which is about 210 hours. We do that so that we can look at the extent to which our findings change year by year. You know, there is no way to know how big this problem is, how many sites there are. I mean, you just can't do a survey of illegal activity and expect to get the kind of results that are conclusive. So what we do is to just see whether or not the number of sites we find selling these drugs changes substantially from year to year. And so from 2004 to 2007, the number of sites we found selling these drugs continued to increase. This year, for the first time, we saw a drop in the total number of sales sites and sites that were advertising the drugs as well. Now, that may be a glitch in the data, or it may be sort of a reflection of increased attempts on the part of law enforcement and financial institutions and sort of state law changes to crack down on Internet access to these drugs. So how widespread is the problem of online illegal drug commerce? Well, we don't know the answer to that with any real degree of specificity. We do know that the Internet, as I said, is a wide open channel of distribution. It appears that anyone can go online and acquire these drugs without a prescription. All you need is some way to pay for them and a very small amount of Internet savvy. We don't even know what percentage of drug abuse where the drugs are acquired over the Internet. So it's very hard to tell what role the Internet plays, but we do have anecdotal evidence of young people and really people of all ages dying as a result of taking drugs they they got online. And I think a whole series of law enforcement reports about their attempting to crack down and eliminate many of these sales sites. It's really hard to do because the sites can disappear within the space of a few minutes only to reemerge instantly with another URL address. So what law enforcement tries to do is to crack down on the networks of illegal activity behind these sites. 
Just to provide some broader context, and, and not necessarily specific to online drug commerce, what sort of trends has the United States seen in the abuse of uh, prescription drugs in recent years? Well, we've seen a dramatic rise in the abuse of these drugs. If you just look at the study we did earlier, which was released in 2005 called Under the Counter, the data we had available then were for a decade between 92 and 2002. And during that period, we saw a 154% increase just in the number of prescriptions filled for controlled prescription drugs. At that same period, there was a 13% increase in the population and about a 90% increase in the abuse of those drugs. Right now, abuse of controlled prescription drugs exceeds the abuse of all other illicit drugs combined except marijuana. We're talking about heroin, we're talking about ecstasy and, and all of that, so the combined... Except marijuana, controlled prescription drug abuse exceeds all other illicit drug use combined right now. So getting back to websites, you had mentioned that since the last update of your report, you've got drugs. The number of websites advertising prescription drugs online actually decreased. Decrease in the number of sites both advertising the drugs and then selling the drugs. It's interesting, if you go online, just to get a better understanding of this, most people, if they're trying to buy a product online, they'll use one of the existing internet search engines like Google or Yahoo or MSN. And you might type in, buy Vicodin, no prescription, and you'll get hundreds of thousands of hits. Now you have to sort through those hits, and some of them may be cautions against the use, some of them may be press releases about abuse, and some of them are sites that advertise the drugs for sale. They don't complete a sale themselves, but they point the user to a site that does offer them for sale. So then you sort of have to sort down and you identify these sale sites. So in our 200 hours of work, 210 hours of work this year, we identified 206 advertising sites and 159 sale sites. And how has the number decreased? The number of advertising sites we found last year was 394 compared to 206 this year. And last year, the number of sales sites was 187 compared to 159 this year. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Focus on Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Charles Turk, and our guest is Susan Foster, Vice President and Director of Policy Research and Analysis at the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Ms. Foster directed the preparation of the center's most recent You've Got Drugs report on spurious drug sales on the web. Now, Ms. Foster, I was wondering, do you have any information on how quickly drugs might get from a seller to a buyer's door? I think it depends, as it does with any other purchase, on what you're willing to pay. If you want it delivered standard delivery, and if it's coming from somewhere around the globe, it may be a matter of a week or so or more. If you're wanting an overnight delivery and that's feasible for the seller, then you could have it instantly, practically. We, Our research did not track that. We did not buy the drugs because that's illegal to do. So we just looked at what the sites themselves advertised. But other reports suggest that you can get these drugs, and and as I said, it depends on whether you get an express delivery or not. Also, many of these websites that are selling illicitly or trafficking in these drugs will assist in a buyer's efforts to sort of thwart local law enforcement by wrapping the drugs in a manner that may not draw attention to it or otherwise stamping it as some other products such as umbrellas from Thailand or something like that or cosmetics or whatever just to try to deflect inquiry into what the the contents of the shipment might be. 
It's interesting to look at the different kinds of drugs that are available, though. Most frequently offered drugs online are the benzodiazepines, you know, which are the anti-anxiety, central nervous system depressant drugs, and that's followed by pain relievers or the opioids. Getting at what you were saying before about umbrellas from Thailand, do we know what percentage of the sites that ship these drugs actually ship them from within the United States? Well, we attempted to track that, and as I said before, all we can do is say is to really report what these sites say on their website. But about 24%, just about a quarter of the sites, indicated that the drugs would be shipped from within the United States. 40% said they would be shipped from outside the U.S., and then the remaining 36% did not indicate from where the drugs would be shipped. It is really important to understand that this is really a global, this internet trafficking of controlled drugs is really a global phenomenon so that you, you know, the consumer may be in one place, the doctor, uh, I put quotations around that, the individual issuing the prescription, if there is one online, another, the pharmacy shipping the drugs, the operator of the anchor or of the sale or the advertising sites, uh, or even the computer serving the sites could be located all around the world. How many websites that you found did actually require a prescription for these medications? Well, only 15% of the sites we identified made any mention that a prescription was required. And of those 15% of the sites, half of them simply require that a patient fax a prescription which leaves open enormous opportunity for fraud, either by tampering with a prescription or by using one prescription multiple times. 85% of them did not require a prescription, and that meant that they either simply blatantly stated on their website that no prescription was needed, they made no mention of a prescription, or they offered what is called an online consultation. And in that sense, an individual would be asked to fill out a simple form For example, providing name, age, none of this is necessarily verified. And then if you wanted a pain reliever indicating on a scale of 1 to 10 how bad your pain was. And filling out those consultations frequently result in a receipt of the drugs. So those are considered illegal sites because they do not require any bona fide patient-doctor relationship. As you mentioned, less than 10% of these online pharmacies actually conduct what most healthcare professionals would consider to be a legitimate pharmacy practice. How do we distinguish legitimate online pharmacies, at least from a definition perspective, from rogue pharmacies? Well, according to the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, which is interpreting the Federal Controlled Substances Act, which, by the way, was written before the Internet, that act and the interpretation of it suggests that four conditions have to be met. One, a patient has to have a medical complaint. Two, a medical history needs to be taken. Three, a physical exam has to be performed. And then fourth, there needs to be a logical connection between the complaint, the history, the exam, and the drug prescribed. So those conditions, which are also endorsed by the National Association of the Boards of Pharmacy and several medical groups as well, is this consistent medical practice, standards of medical practice. Now, in an attempt to identify legitimate online pharmacies, because there are some, the National Association of Boards of Pharmacies has created something called the Verified Internet Pharmacy Practice Sites, or VIPs, and there are now, I think, 15 registered VIPs sites. So if you have their trademark on your site, then you can be pretty sure that that's a legitimate pharmacy. Unfortunately, the VIPs 
program requires that you pay fees to participate. So you have to pay a, an initial certification fee from between $5,000 to $8,000, and then you have to pay a yearly participation fees between $1,000 and $4,000. So that is a barrier to some pharmacies. We have recommended, and uh, legislation currently before Congress would require federal certification of pharmacy practice sites so that you would have a list of what a legitimate site is. In other words, in order to offer controlled drugs online, you would have to be certified. Then if you weren't on that list, by definition, you were considered a rogue site. That would make law enforcement much easier and would also make it easier for the Internet search engines to block the non-legitimate sites from Internet searches. We've been talking with Susan Foster about the availability of controlled substances online. Ms. Foster, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I'm Dr. Charles Turk. You've been listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MDXM157. And thank you for listening.